Welcome to the Deptford Cinema Podcast. Bienvenido al podcast del Deptford Cinema. Deptford Cinema, the right place for film lovers. Hi everyone and welcome to another Deptford Cinema Podcast. My name is Rob. And today, I am joined by five other Deptford Cinema volunteers who have agreed this evening, remotely, to sit down and watch the 1985 Return to Oz movie, directed by Walter Murch. The plan was to watch it uh, and then convene online to discuss their impressions and thoughts about the film. So let's begin with some introductions. Hi, I'm Caroline, and this was my first time watching the movie. Hi, I'm Charlotte. Um, I've watched this movie a few times before, but uh, not for at least 10 years or so. Hi, I'm Frankie. Same as Charlotte. The first time I watched it was when I was about seven. I might have watched it in my teenage years, about 10 years ago, um, but I haven't watched it for a long time. I'm Neil. Uh, I saw this film way back in 1985 in my local Canon cinema when it was released as a wee nipper. And I caught up with it, I think about 20 years later, for uh, a friend of mine who actually I found out loved the movie and uh, where we watched it. And so uh, it's been about 10 years since then. So uh, it was great to see it again today. Hi, I'm Peter. Um, Yeah, I saw. Uh, this film a few times when I was a young kid, but I probably haven't seen it for maybe 20 years. Okay, and as for me, I grew up with this film. I didn't watch it in the cinema, but I remember my family acquired a copy on VHS, and I remember watching this many times in my youth. The Troll Cinema. Troll's Community by the Community. So I'm going to begin with you, Caroline. What were your uh, what were your feelings and, and what was your experience like watching Return to Oz? Um, super glad and super surprised that it wasn't a musical. And uh, and also, um, I feel so sorry for you guys who saw it when you were kids. I, I, I couldn't, I would be so traumatised by it. It's really horrific. The first few, you know, the opening scenes were just horrendous. <laughs> it's, in fact, it's one of those films that you probably would have, I would have watched when my parents went out and then regretted it terribly and had awful nightmares, just like the film. Yeah. Peter, let's go to you. Um, if I remember rightly, you haven't seen it for a while. Yeah, I mean, my um, main sort of love for the original film is what drives also my fondness for, for this uh, unofficial sequel, shall we say. The original film, I think, is is definitely the film that I've seen the most out of any film in the world. When I was a kid, I rewatched that film over and over and over again. I had like a VHS of it recorded off TV. And um, I think I watched it so many times, I even knew all the adverts off by heart as well. So, yeah, I've got a, a very deep love for the MGM 1939 version. Um, but, yeah, I watched the returned to us as I said earlier as a kid and there was parts of it which I still remembered for years decades later uh, because they are so scary and re-watching it again now I still remember those scenes almost exactly as I did before and 
Yeah, there's some certainly very, very dark stuff in this. I mean, there is some quite dark um, things in the original as well. Uh, I think because of the nature of it, the Technicolor sort of nature of it, the, the musical aspects, um, the fact that it's such a family classic, I think quite a lot of it is sort of papered over. But this one is a real sort of dark relation to the, to the, to the original. It's like, and it's a very, yeah, it's a very strange film. It's a very hard film to sum up as well in terms of what actually happens in it. It's, it's very rambling and very, um, yeah, some really interesting stuff in. Some really interesting ideas, though. I thought in there, rewatching it as an adult. Frankie, we spoke as well briefly about um, the film, and and you'd mentioned that you'd watched it as a child. Watching it again now, does it bring back? memories of of being kind of shocked and horrified as a child i actually i don't ever remember being horrified i, I loved this film when i was younger <laughs> it was part of a i was just really obsessed with these kind of darker films like beetlejuice i was definitely not allowed to watch but i watched so much and like that um and return to oz and other films with like weird dark twists I used to just watch all the time but same as Peter watching it now I'm surprised kind of how vivid it is in my memory like a lot of the scenes and the characters and stuff um yeah I just remember really clearly um and my experience with some other films that I liked when I was younger is that you go back and watch them and they don't feel as good because they don't have like the magic of when you were younger watching them but I didn't have that with this film I still really really enjoyed it um, but yeah, when the, I think maybe the first time I watched it or when I was watching it a lot, I remember when she goes to the lunch pail tree and I just thought that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. So I went outside and like started hanging little buckets on a tree in my garden <laughs> like it was a lunch pail tree. So yeah, it had a big impression on me and it's definitely stayed that way. Charlotte, how about you? You've, you've previously watched this. Did you uh, have... Um, did you have past experiences watching it and feeling really afraid as a child or were you like Frankie and, 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 and enjoyed it uh, now and then equally as just a, an, an enjoyable film? Um, I don't remember feeling scared about it at all when I was a kid, uh, but you are speaking to someone whose favourite kid growing up was Watership Down. Um, <laughs> so uh, it, it kind of fitted into a canon of lots of films that were kind of a bit scary that were made at the time. So things like, like Willow, Labyrinth. Um, there was just quite a few films that were made in that uh, whimsical fantasy gothic style that looking back on now, they're a lot darker than you noticed as a child. So as a child, I don't I don't think I took in at all the fact that she'd been taken to an insane asylum uh, for electroshock treatment. That just did not register with me at all. Um, so actually, that's a lot more shocking for me sorry pun there, uh, watching as an adult than it was when I was a child because it just went straight over my head. Neil, you also expressed uh, enthusiasm when I mentioned Re Return to Oz and perhaps you're the only one who, who has maybe seen it in the cinema. When it, I'm not sure when it, you saw it when it came out at the cinema. Or... 1985. Yeah, but I, I remember in the 80s, uh, my mum and dad used to alternate. They used to take turns in taking me to the cinema. Some I remember my mum and dad lucking out. Someone that sometimes they gave just something that they thought was utter rubbish. 
Others, they thought they were struck gold. They saw some classics. So they were kind of playing this lottery and for like, who's going to get a good film to go with Neil to see? Um, with this, kind of the same as Peter, I remember loving the first one and seeing that on video and, yeah, wearing out the VHS. And then going to see this. I mean, the contrast is extraordinary. <laughs> and that's what makes, I think that's what makes it so terrifying. Because the kids are like, when's the first song coming? You're like, I think you're about 15, 20 minutes in. You're like, no one's sung anything yet. Remember the first one's a musical. And then, yeah, the insane asylum. And it just goes darker and darker. And then there's just so many elements that just were really frightening as a kid. I think, I think it just builds and builds and builds. Like, I noticed from watching it now how, <laughs> I was saying, because I watched it with my wife tonight, how rubbish and grey like the real life looks it's horrible it's like you just want to be in odds all the time so and even that sets you up for like this is going to be a dark film and then just grows and grows from there i mean the wheelers forget it they're just terrifying uh, 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 yeah that sets you off like oh and i remember these guys coming and just looking at them now like oh there's something horrible about them and then i think i remember i remember hiding behind yeah, hiding my eyes at certain bits. And, and then I think as a kid in that cinema experience, when Mombi, uh, when basically she takes her head off, I think I checked out. And I think I was like, I'm not going to, don't, I don't think I really watched the second half of the movie because Sam's halfway through and you realise this is kind of all the rules are, are gone now, the way it's done. I'll tell you one thing that I recalled about it and it's kind of linked to the film. I don't think I remember having these. I remember getting to see it at the cinema, being traumatised, as a kid, I revisited it because I don't know if you remember, there was those books with film books, I forget what you call them, with a cassette that had the tell along. You would flip the pages of the book and you would play the cassette. It's like, when the noise goes, yeah, turn the page. And I think I remember revisiting this film through getting that. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll pluck up the courage. I think I found that equally as terrifying. I'm not lying. <laughs> it just summed up all that darkness that's in the film. But looking back at it now, it, it's it's a really well done film. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a great film by itself. I think the thing about those 80s films, uh, maybe different to now, is as they were, they did have that darkness and those in those stories that, that I think now you look back, like all the filmmakers were given, like, uh, free range that they brought in like Walter Murch was made this who was associated with The Godfather so they gave proper filmmakers free range to make their own stories and I think that helps with and that does bring the darkness to it rather than now where you think this probably would have to be approved by so many levels of Disney because remember it's a Disney film somehow um, but then I think that's how those sort of scary films got made. They brought those darkness to them, those storytellers, because they were left alone to make these films. If you have any questions or suggestions for future podcasts or would like to get involved as a volunteer, please email us at info at depthedcinema.org. There are some dark aspects to this film. There are some, in my mind, terrifying characters. For you, Caroline, like, can you describe to us is there a particular character or a moment that you felt was particularly disturbing um i'm embarrassed to say that i think jack the jack pumpkin head is that his name jack pumpkin head i 
I found him frightening. <laughs> um, I was like, no, don't touch, don't touch him. <laughs> I wanted to call out, I'm sure I was calling it out. Um, and also, yeah, I cut the wheelers as soon as they came on. And I think it was the sound, wasn't the, the wheelie sound, the squeaky wheel sound the same as on the trolley as she was being wheeled into the room where she was about to be electrocuted at the beginning. I, I, I kind of made that connection. I don't know if that was everybody else got that. Um, yeah, the wheel. Ugh. Uh, yeah, they'll haunt me forever. The sound, I know it's the sound of them this time. Yeah, they have this screech like you say, the trolley. I thought, ooh, yeah. that's really horrible. I, for- I forgot that happened when <laughs> I first saw yeah. it. Um, I, I, um, I quite liked the the gnome at the end. Yeah, I thought he was quite cool. I liked his footwear. <laughs> Frankie, how about you? I know you you mentioned before that as a child, um, you know, you didn't find it too overly dark or anything, but watching it now, were there aspects to it that you thought that were a bit disturbing or a bit odd or unsettling? Well, definitely. So even though I wasn't like completely terrified by it as a kid, the wheelers were actually terrifying. They were the standout one. And I've remembered them all this time. And um, like Caroline said, I, I only just clocked watching it now that the sound of them was the same as as the trolley in the hospital. Um, and that was really disturbing. I think, yeah, they're the worst bit of it for me. Um, but yeah, and I also only realised on this watching um, how many of the present day characters are in are in Oz with her. I mean, the wheelers are horrifying. Um, and have you also noticed that when they have their heads down, they have like a mask on the top of their head? Um, but in, it, if, uh, other than the wheelers, what about um, Mombi and the corridor of heads? Yeah, that for me, I, I remembered that really clearly. And watching it the first time, it was definitely unsettling. Um, I guess now that I knew it was coming, I didn't find it as terrifying, but it was such a good shot when she's walking along, um, like the few times she walks along and the heads are all turning, I just thought it looked so good and like so scary. It's that single shot where she's trying to, what is it, she's trying to get the key and she wakes her up and her headless body sits up in bed. Just seeing that image on the film, I'm like, whoa, that, that's too much now. <laughs> I, I was getting scared now and I recall myself at cinema, i just, no, not liking this at all. That was just terrifying. That's a one <laughs> shot. Like, oh, who thought of that? No, I, I was always, always terrified of the wheelers. They look at them now. They remind me a little bit of like a steampunk version of Boy George. <laughs> Notice that. <laughs> so they weren't quite as frightening to me anymore because I was like, oh, they look like Boy George. Um, but the bit, yeah, the scream is the screams in particular of those heads. I that is always been the most frightening part for me is that is that scene and it's still yeah still said gave me chills this time and there's a lot of things that about this film that are sort of creepy in general just everything's a bit slightly off so like you know you have characters i won't spoil it but you do have characters who were in the original but they don't quite look right now obviously i think it's probably because of the rights and stuff like that but because they don't quite look right it just gives an atmosphere that it's a bit unsettling. Yeah, and um, 
even the fact about Dorothy's age and how old is she meant to be, and this is actually a sequel, but she's clearly younger than she's in the original, it all adds to like a really unsettling um, tone for me. Lewisham loves Deadford Cinema. I'm going to move us on to something that I wanted to mention, and this might be for any listeners who are familiar with the books, they might already know the reasons for this or the um, the meaning behind this. But I was perplexed then, and I remain perplexed now about the chicken, about Belina, and um, I, I love it. I love the fact that this constant threat throughout their time in Oz is the presence of the chicken. But I just wanted to put it out there to you guys what you thought about Belina and um, her her threat to the Gnome King. I interpreted that as being um, uh, a plot device and um, the, the thing that destroys the patriarchy of the Gnome King. I'm not, I won't say exactly what it is, but it's, uh, oh shit, I'm, I'm kind of ruining it. That's all right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to put a spoiler alert on the, on the podcast okay. anyway, so don't worry. Okay, so it is, it, it is a symbol of rebirth uh, that destroys the Gnome King, which is the patriarchy. Um, and the chicken is a vehicle for that, um, for that rebirth thing. Um, but I'm not sure, I, I, like, I'm not sure how the chicken appears in the books. And I understand that the chicken is important in the book. Um, and it's been brought into it as a plot device to, uh, to bring about this particular outcome. But um, without having read the book, I can't, I can't say any more than my very personal uh, perspective. Oh, okay. Ca- Caroline, how about you? You know, I know that you're uh, a fan of chicken scenes in films. I know that you wrote a short piece on your favourite <laughs> chicken scenes uh, in film history. Um, there was a lot of chicken in this film. Did you enjoy those chicken scenes in this film? And what do you think about the role of the chicken throughout Return to Oz? I love the chicken in this, or many chickens. I'm, I'm sure she had, uh, Belinda had lots of doubles and... Uh, Anyway, but I, I, I have this theory that um, all good films have to have a chicken in. So, the, it, you know, this is amazing. They usually have little kind of bit parts here and there. And this was like she had a, a main role. She had a starring role. So it was, it was really cool, I thought. And um, it was a bit freaky when she started talking. And then she got very wooden when she started talking. I preferred her in her natural state. But... Um, yeah, that was it was lovely. Chickens are quite comforting. I thought that was probably the most comforting thing in the bleak moments. Dorothy had a little cuddle with her and it was quite nice. Everything was all right then. You're listening to the Dev for Cinema podcast. What do we um, think of the visual effects and how do they stand up to the um, the standards perhaps that, and styles that we're used to now? Neil, I know that you're into your, your sci-fi um, movies and perhaps beyond that, into fantasy fiction and so on. What did you make of the uh, the visual effects of the film? Well, they're great. I mean, I, I, I've watched a few films this weekend and there was certainly one, like most films made in the last 10 to 15 years, 
especially around some fantasy or kind of horror films and science fiction films. But all modern films, there's a tipping point where, like, here comes the CGI. And there's nothing CGI now that can match those old school effects. And in this, they have a lot of, like we mentioned, the, the rock, all the rocks coming to life. There's a lot of stop motion stuff. And it still looks so great, that sort of, you feel it made by hand and they've spent loads of time on it and such. But some of the, a lot of the visuals are great. Like the bit that was great that stood out for me was, wow, that looks amazing, is the bit with Mombi's heads, where she's picking them up and they don't just have leak cutaways, they literally show lifting one up and things like that. But it was just really well done. And it kind of has that puppetry in there as well. It's that great thing where there's a mix of them rather than, the default of I oh, would we'll do it in post in a computer, I think is that sort of current attitude to films like this. So yeah, I, I thought it looked great in the effects. They kind of had a nice old school thing, like at the end, like Peter said, uh, the weird scarecrow and the lion, where she's riding the lion. It, you could tell they had to shoot that from a certain angle because they had the mateys underneath it pushing it along. But there's something about that where that sort of made by hand or this craft about it, I think that, that is in there. And it, it just looks great. And just all the, the colours and the lighting and that, especially in that last act where she's in that mountain, it just looked amazing. The scene that I particularly enjoyed, and it seemed to, I think Caroline mentioned this, we were sitting here watching it together, was the end sequence with the Gnome King, who, when they're um, playing the game, if you like, um, of guessing, just before they go into the room, of guessing the ornament, um, it, it starts off this brilliant, uh, I think, stop frame animation rock sequence. And then gradually the visual style starts to change each time we, come, we cut back to the Gnome King. And by the end, where it's just Dorothy left speaking to the Gnome King, it's actually just a human actor um, in heavy makeup and costume. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember that, but it's... it's um, it's it sort of the way they change that, the way they sort of move from, um, yeah, post-produced effects to practical effects to, you know, classic costume and, and, and makeup, I thought particularly was really effective. And some of the set pieces with like falling, you know, rocks and shrapnel and the fire, it just, even now watching it, um, it feels just really visceral, really, yeah, really real. Um, yeah, really, really amazing. Uh, Frankie, how about you? Was I know that you in your previous podcast with Maria were talking about um, black horror movies and some of which might use elaborate CGI or, or, or whatnot, or perhaps practical effects. Did, did you, did you uh, embrace the, um, the, visual, the visual effects of Return to Oz? Yeah, definitely. The part that you just mentioned when the Gnome King kind of, come, kind of comes to life, I thought was really smooth and impressive. Um, but I really liked the, the puppetry aspects as well. So Belina, I thought was, I, I, in some parts, yeah, it's, it's real chicken. And then the other parts where, where she's talking, it's obviously not real chicken, but I thought it was it was really well done. Like it looked very realistic. Um, and TikTok as well, I loved. I thought he was a really good character. Yeah, like I, I just thought the the way he's obviously just made out of metal. I guess maybe it wouldn't have been hard to make him, but the way that he was animated or, or puppeted or whatever was really clever. And the way he was wound up, um, yeah, I was impressed by him. I thought we had a backstory. 
do you think, Frankie, that was, as a, I wanted to um, hone in on TikTok, actually, who's the, um, you know, the, the, the metal robot army general. I was watching it and I was thinking, I was sort of looking at it and going, how are they doing that? And then I, and then I thought, is it just a dude in a suit? Or is it actually, is it, you know, is it remote controlled puppetry animatronics? I mean, Frankie, what was, what was your feel about how TikTok came to life? I actually, that's a good point. I actually hadn't even, I got so lost in it. I kind of forgot to think, how are they doing it? But the way that he, he walks and for example, when they, they meet the wheelers and they fight the wheelers, um, that whole sequence, I have no idea how they've managed to do that because it looks like it must be like a giant wind-up toy. Um, I don't know how. <laughs> I think the, the the wheelers actually. We've talked about sort of effects and how we did things. That's kind of stuck with me as well, especially because really there's only one wheeler we kind of interact with, like the lead guy. All the others don't really get any lines, but the main guy. But in the shots of the wheelers, like he's on as an actor. I thought that must have been so difficult because they have big shots of him just on all fours on these wheels. I'm like, how did they get him? How many times did he have to rehearse this and get this right? Because well, how the hell did he? How did they actually? How, how do they move? Why? Well, yeah, exactly. I was thinking. I was looking at it as a sort of questioning the physics. I was thinking, how, yeah. how do you move forward with, when you've got a wheel on each? Hand and, and foot. <laughs> <I> can't stop. <laughs> and their arms were extra long. They were like they were like extended. Yeah. So so their hands weren't like in direct contact with the wheels, which were in touch with the ground. There was obviously a, a quite a size, at least half a meter gap, which they must have been obviously holding on to some kind of you know stunt sort of extension to the wheels. But even then, that must have been really painful to be in that position going along. They also had, um, watching it, I've, I've my outing myself as a massive Doctor Who fan, they had a, a called Dalek Syndrome. Uh, there's a bit where she's on the stairs, I'm thinking, well, she'll be all right there. Because if these guys try to go down up the stairs, forget it, they're going to be all over the place. <laughs> so I'm like, well, she'll be all right there. Because, again, the physics of it, you're like, well, they're, they're going to be a bit in trouble with certain terms. Yeah, I wondered about TikTok's makeup as well, because, or how he was created. Um, I almost don't want to look it up now, but... His legs looked sort of too thin for them to be to have a person inside to me. So I don't know. I mean, it, it looked pretty convincing robotic to me, but I almost don't want to look it up to have it ruined for me because he was such a great character and so beautifully made. Yeah. Um, I did actually look it up and have it ruined for me. Would you like? Would you like me to ruin it for you? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to close my ears. Oh, yeah. Please, yeah. Go on. Apparently, it's an acrobat um, upside down with his legs tucked up, and um, the legs are actually his arms. Whoa. Oh. Whoa. Okay, that is impressive. Deptford Cinema is a volunteer run community cinema space located in southeast London. Due to the ongoing coronavirus crisis, our current cinema screenings and events have been suspended. We are, however, still active as a community and have migrated online to continue our activities as best possible. We'd like to thank all our patrons, cinema visitors and fellow film lovers in Deptford and around the world for all your continued support during these challenging times. We will continue to serve the community and look forward to reopening the cinema in the near future. Okay. Do you guys have anything else you would like to add uh, about your experience watching the film or perhaps 
um, a maybe even um, a mention of uh, a film of a similar era that perhaps we could uh, watch in the near future and talk about on a on a future Deptford Cinema podcast. Um, well, in many ways, the structure to this film is similar to that of Labyrinth. Um, it's in many ways a coming of age film where she gets to that uh, particular age where she's trying to be, she's being forced to abandon the, the childish dreams and imagination. Um, but uh, she resists uh, by returning, well, actually going on a deep dive into that world. Um, but then when she re returns, uh, both in Labyrinth and in this film, she's given the option to be able to go back there whenever she wants to. So rather than completely abandoning the imagination, she uh, is just able to dive into it, not just in times of need when she needs to escape from horrific and traumatic experiences, which seems to be the case in both the Oz, film, Oz films, um, but just as uh, a resource for her to be able to enjoy. Um, and that the, the mirror uh, trope is used in both Labyrinth and in this film. Uh, and Labyrinth, I think, would be an amazing film to revisit um, in a similar vein to this film. Yeah, I, I like what you just said, Charlie. And I was, I couldn't remember how it ended um, when I was watching it this time. And I was just really hoping that it didn't end with her leaving Oz forever or it was a dream, that type of thing. So yeah, it ended with that open-ended, she can come back whenever she wanted. I think maybe that's why I liked it so much when I was younger and now because it was completely given into the idea that Oz was real it wasn't telling her that it was just a dream basically anymore um, and in terms of another film the other one that I used to watch a lot around the same time um, was The Witches which is one of my favorites as well um, I guess yeah very different but similar in in some of the ways uh, that it feels so yeah that one would be good I think what I picked up from it and looking back at it was the performances and some of the casting in it. I mean, the, Dorothy's, uh, the actress, uh, pronounced her name right, someone correct me, Feruza Bolk. And as an actress, she's she's kind of, how do I describe her? She's always been kind of left field. She's not been like your standard female lead. She takes on these roles and in all her films, she's got this air of sort of quirkiness and weirdness about her. Just in every role she puts it in. She was in The Craft, a film I revisited recently about sort of witchcraft amongst teenagers. And that's another, I remember that pressure of that film, that was like mid 90s coming out. And I thought it was going to be like a sort of kiddish film. And then revisiting it, it's a very dark movie. And she's, she's very dark. And I think even back in Return to Oz, I'm starting to think, man, even that then, maybe that's one of the things that put me off kilter. I wasn't being right about this film that she brings to that role. Like Peter said, she's not like Judy Garland. She's kind of, she feels a bit more real, but a bit more like her performance suits the whole darkness about the film and how it's kind of very different tone. And also the other casting I spotted was um, the aunt, Auntie M. And, and I don't know if I've got the actress name right again. It's, I couldn't believe it on the final thing watching it. It's Piper Laurie, um, who won the Oscar playing another terrifying parental figure, which is Carrie's mum. And I, I was like, driving me mad who she was. And then you really remember her. Like, oh, my word, she was in Carrie. So it was really weird to see her there. I remember that film. That's one of my favourite films. We could revisit that. 
uh, and just seeing her in that film being so terrifying and this film being quite benevolent. So it was kind of kind of clever castings coming up as well. And Momby as well was uh, the actress in Willow who played the witch in that. So maybe she was getting typecast in the 80s as like this kids' films, you know, witch character. She keeps popping up as well. So I think that was a strength to the film too. As for film to revisit, if we go on the 80s theme, I love Never Ending Story. Um, just because that is quite a dark fairy tale as well. And again, we talk about scary uh, characters. Uh, there's the, the wolf, should we call it, which is the emissary of the nothing in the film. That was another terrifying character to me as a child. So that's a film I'd love to rewatch as well. Cool. Well, there's definitely some really useful suggestions there. <clears throat> and I can already think of four or five other DC volunteers, certainly with Never Ending Story and Labyrinth. Um, who I'm sure would enjoy uh, joining us for a potential future uh, podcast episode uh, about those movies. But I would like to thank you guys ever so much for uh, joining me this evening to uh, dedicate some time to watching Return to Oz. Uh, I recommend it to all of our listeners if you haven't seen it before, or if you have seen it as a child or any other time in the past, um, definitely revisit it. It's worth watching again. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Frankie, Neil, Peter, Caroline, and Charlotte. Uh, this is goodbye for now, and we hope to join up. This is goodbye for now. We hope to make... No, let me do that again. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. And... Um, let me just think of my ending. Um, hope to see you soon. Yeah, we're in lockdown. That's the problem, isn't it? Thank you for listening to the Deptford Cinema Podcast. For more information about our current online activities, please visit our website, www.deptfordcinema.org. Deptford Cinema. Deptford Cinema, the right place for film lovers.